You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, welcome back. Glad to be with you today. Our scripture reading is going to be on the screen here. It's from the book of Ephesians chapter 3. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, along with Paul, amen, amen. amen. Yeah, today is, I think at least it is for me, it's a big day for Jesus, for the kingdom of God, and certainly for Mosaic Church, because again, as you just heard, we are launching Pastor Alvin and Mallory Brown to start Mosaic Church Fort Worth, our first location outside Austin. And this church, you may know, has planted a number of churches over the years, including most recently Family Life Austin over in the east part of Austin. And while we are connected to that church through our global spiritual family of churches called Every Nation, It's just a little different when what you're sending has your name on it, all right? And since this is happening, I thought it seemed only right and fair and appropriate to talk today about part of, though not all of, what that name means, what mosaic means, what it means to have our name on something. And here's why I'm doing this. Again, for a couple of reasons. First, I'm doing this because so many of you have walked in here and you've noticed right away it looks different and it feels different. And you ask, and I get asked this all the time, literally everywhere I go, why does Mosaic feel and look what it, why it, like it does? So basically, in doing this today, I'm multitasking. <laughs> I'm trying to help myself right now. All right. And second, even more fundamentally, I'm talking about this today because I am so proud of us. I believe in us and I believe in our mission together, which begs the question, what is that? What is the mission of Mosaic Church? 
Again, I'm so glad you asked. Here we go. Many of you are spending time on this question right now in our membership class, our foundations course. And the reason we spend a lot of time on this is because it really, really matters. So again, what is the mission of Mosaic Church? I won't ask anybody to recite it from memory. Have it on the screen for you. Here we go. Mosaic Church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ through the core values of worship, community, and mission in a multi-ethnic and multi-generational context. And that's our mission. And you may recall that after we reopened last year in 2021, we spent three months on that making disciples part. It's a series called How to Follow Jesus Christ. And then last fall, we spent nine weeks on the core values part in a series called Differently the Same. And today, I want to take not three months, not nine weeks, but just one day. Everybody say one day. One day. And talk about one part. Could you say one part? One part of that context bit right there. The multi-ethnic context part. Because not only is that part really, really important, but that part is maybe the hardest one of all to get right. So if you're here and you're intrigued by that mission, you love the mission, maybe it's new to you, but you say, maybe I'd like to be a part of something like that, then great, you're not alone. There's your tie to the series. You're welcome. All right. But here's my question today then. How can we do that? How can we do ministry that results in a multi-ethnic context where there's lots of people there in the place who don't necessarily look like I do, but who love Jesus like I do. How can we create a mosaic? I want to give you one sentence in four parts we're going to break down. How do we create this mosaic? Number one, we see a mystery. Number two, we hold it together in a certain way by a certain power. We see a mystery that we hold together in a certain way by a special power. Here we go. Number one, we have to see a mystery. What is it? Let's take a look and preach the Bible to you for a few minutes. Ephesians uh, chapters one through six. The letter of Ephesians was written by the apostle Paul to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus. That's modern day Turkey. And the letter is all about the church, what the church is, what the church does, how the church looks. It's an amazing letter. And after two chapters of nosebleed, high picture of high volume, theoretical stuff, here in chapter three, Paul's about to try to make, to start a turn from the theoretical to the practical, but he can't do it. Because right at the top of chapter three, and we read it, he takes a massive Detour. Paul the Apostle, he, he's like a man driving 80 miles an hour in the far left lane, cruising along. And he all of a sudden, he, you're trying to follow him. Then he puts on his blinker. He weaves his way through traffic and he barely makes the exit and you're expected to follow him. Now, you might get lost if you're not watching closely. So let's do our best. Ephesians 3.1. He's cruising along. For this reason, previous two chapters, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Again, he's trying to get down to giving practical day-to-day living advice. But when he writes one little phrase, it sets him off. When Paul writes the words, for the sake of you Gentiles, 
This means now, Paul is speaking here to everyone who is not Jewish. This is a big deal because Paul was a converted Jew. Jesus of Nazareth was Jewish. Jesus lived and preached and taught and suffered and died and was resurrected in Israel as a Jewish man. And for Jewish people, the world was divided into two camps, two types of people, Jewish, non-Jewish, Jews, and Gentiles. And for those Jewish people, the Messiah that God had promised them through their stories and their prophets centuries before, was their expectation about that was that there was going to be a Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people. And for sure, there, there were hints all along. God had kind of dropped here and there about a, a bigger global impact for their Messiah. But over time, through persecution, through oppression, the Jewish concept of the Messiah had been ground down to mainly consider the Messiah, the Christ, as a Jewish Savior for the Jewish nation, and for the Jewish people. Christ, in other words, would have come for the sake of the Jews. And so when Paul writes these words, I'm a prisoner of Christ for the sake of the Gentiles, those words trigger something in him. creates like a little lump in his throat. His heart begins to beat a little faster in his chest. And this is why he puts on his blinker, why he gets over real quick, makes that detour and writes a little something extra. In other words, Ephesians was only going to be a five-chapter bestseller until Paul writes these words. Because of these words, we get bonus content, which is Ephesians chapter 3. So again, let's put on our turn signal. Let's follow Paul on his chapter-long detour, verse 2. Surely, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now you'll notice he uses this word mystery for the first of, I think, four times here in the passage. What's that? Well, if you're like me, you love a good mystery. I love a good mystery. I grew up reading all the mysteries I could get my hands on from the library. I, I love detective characters and shows. And Carrie and I, we actually had a few days off together recently. And we, we basically binge watched every mystery to TV show and detective movie we could find. Now, for the record, she is way better at guessing who done it. All right. I don't even try because I always get it wrong. I don't like to lose, okay? So in order to maintain a fragile sense of self, I don't guess and I just hang in there for the ride. But, but in all those shows, when is the mystery revealed? Come on, it's always when. At the end, right, it's at the end. So you'll, of course, keep on watching. But that kind of mystery is the opposite of what Paul means when he uses the word mystery, See what he means. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight, what I see, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. See, for Paul, the church of Jesus doesn't end when the mystery is revealed. It's the opposite. The church can now begin because the mystery has been revealed. What is it? What's the mystery? He tells you explicitly in verse 6. 
this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together. I wonder what you mean there, Paul. In the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul tells you exactly what is the mystery that God's revealed. He has revealed that his plan all along was to create a diverse multi-ethnic church. His plan only now revealed through Jesus Christ. It couldn't have come before, but now through Jesus, God's heart is revealed as inclusive towards every single tribe, every single nation, every single culture, every single language. And now that the mystery is revealed, the show doesn't end. It's just getting started. That's the mystery of the gospel now revealed. Can you see it? I hope you would say yes. The greatest plot twist in history. God reveals it as the show, the church, begins. So what do we get to do with this? What do we get to do together with the mystery? Number two, we have to, we must hold it together. Here's what I mean. Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians 4.1. Paul writes, again, same author, that churches... And specifically church leaders are, he calls us this, stewards, your translations may say those entrusted with, stewards of the mysteries of God. Now that word steward, I think it's oikonomos in the Greek, it means to watch over, to take care of a house or an estate. Now you can think of like a, like a mega wealthy businessman or businesswoman or actor or rich athlete. They always have some kind of person like this who handles their business. Like if LeBron James or Elon Musk had an agent plus a personal trainer plus a financial advisor plus a lawn keeper plus a housekeeper all in one, that person would be in charge of taking care of all LeBron's stuff. That's who we are, but way better. We, Paul says, are entrusted with God's best stuff. His mysteries, and specifically, follow me. It means three mysteries. The primary, the mystery that God, the God of the Bible, is one God in three persons. What theologians call the Trinity. Second, the mystery that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, was fully God and fully man. And the mystery that God has created, the multi-ethnic church. Now, when Paul puts the value of the multi-ethnic church up there, not equal to, but up there with the nature of Jesus Christ and the nature of God, the Trinity. Let me ask you, do you think this is a big deal to God? By the way, let me point out to you right here, there is always a kind of tension that any mystery in the Bible creates. That's what I mean. I mean, if you resolve the tension at the heart of any Bible mystery, the power of the mystery goes away and results in heresy. Three in one God? Come on, that's a mystery. Fry your brain. You think about it hard enough. You try to resolve the tension at the center of that line. No, it's just like one person God. He's got like three faces, like modalism. He kind of switches it around. I know, that's heresy. Second, Jesus Christ theologians call it hypostatic union okay all right fully god fully human that's a mystery you try to resolve that like 25 75 that's heresy and if you try to resolve the tension at the heart of the multi-ethnic church if you lean too far left if we lean too far right the tension gets dissolved and what was supposed to be held in our hands now slips through our fingers 
what do we get to do together? We get to hold it. Hold this. And don't let anybody fool you. To hold this mystery of God, it's a lot of work. A lot of work. You know, the very first two conflicts, first two conflicts, the first church ever experienced was in this area, race and ethnicity. I'll give you two examples, two case studies. Acts chapter six, it says this. As the disciples increased, a dispute arose. And by the way, if those aren't the truest words ever, I don't know what are. As the church grows, disputes arise. Nothing about the facts, ma'am. See, detective show. All right, some of you get that one. You're welcome, boomers. All right. But in Acts chapter 6, there was one group of Christians that was offended by another. One group, in this case, the minority ethnic group, was having the care of their widows prioritized less than the care of the majority ethnic group's widows. Get your blood boiling, wouldn't it? Now, people get real nervous. I understand why. About using the word system right here in this conversation. But that's what this was. There was a system of care, however unintentional, that prioritized one ethnic group above another. They had to fix it. That was a cultural conflict. They had to work at it. They had to steward it. They had to tend it. And they did. They got it right. Praise God. And a few years later, at the very first church council in Acts chapter 15, where the greatest church leaders in the day gathered to try to solve the biggest problems facing the church in their day, that first church council in church history was focused around solving this. Cultural tensions between Jews and Gentiles. That first church council wasn't trying to work out the nature of Christ. That'd be later. Wasn't trying to work out the nature of the Trinity. That'd be later. They were just trying to work out how to get along. That council had to tend the mystery, hold the mystery, steward the mystery, and therefore, from the very beginning of the Christian church, let me make two quick points. The conversation, any conversation in this area around race and ethnicity was never, ever a political issue. It was only and always a theological issue. I'm sure you heard that. It was never a political issue. Only and ever and always a political, excuse me, a theological issue. Never political, only theological. And I want you to know, it is the same here. Never political, only and ever theological. Because the gospel, the mystery of Christ is at stake if we don't hold this. And second, when people say that challenges around in this conversation, any challenges would go away if we just stop talking about it, they are wrong. They're wrong. The New Testament church only got it right because they talked about it. See? Not because they know it. Now, it's always, of course, in how you talk about it, which is theological, right? They didn't dump the mystery. They didn't ignore the mystery. They didn't put the mystery up on the shelf. They held it. They held it. And I am so grateful to try to do our best, though we get it wrong, do our best to try to hold this, try to tend it, try to care for the mystery of the gospel along with every single one of you. This is part of, though not all, part of what we do. It's Mosaic Church. First, we see a mystery. Second, we hold it together. Third, in a certain way. In a certain way. All right. My wife, Carrie, she was here first service. She liked this part. Maybe you will too. She's the sauce queen. I didn't say saucy. I said sauce queen. That is, we, we, we joke and our family kids do too, that french fries 
onion rings, tater tots, chicken tenders, chicken steak, whatever, is really just a carrier for the sauce. Okay? <laughs> like, this is true. In the Chick-fil-A drive through she'll order one order of french fries with like four types of sauce. Like the poor 17-year-old teenager will have to get on the, on the mic and ask his manager if he can give away that many sauces to one lady with one fry. As she says, I'm just here for the sauce. Salad. It's all about the dressing, which is just sauce for lettuce. <laughs> coffee. She's just there for the creamer. It's sauce for the coffee. She's so much creamer in the coffee. We have to warm it back up. All right. <laughs> it's true. I love her for all of this. She literally makes my life taste better. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> That's like two weeks too late. Mother's Day was two weeks ago. <laughs> Which, of course, by the way, that's what a good sauce does, right? It makes stuff taste better. And I think there is, in the same way, a kind of not-so-secret sauce that can help us do this better. Make it more flavorful for the world. So what's our not-so-secret sauce for this? Let me try to give you, real quick here, a series of three ideas of how to hold the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of this multi-ethnic church. And to do that, I'm going to imitate Paul. Okay, I'm going to hit my blinker, get way over, and take a detour over to a couple of other letters that he wrote that I think can help us right here. I think you'll see why I'm doing this. Okay, what's our sort of not-so-secret sauce? How can we hold the mystery? Three L statements. First, listen and learn. Listen and learn. Follow me. In the early church, in two cities, in the cities of Rome, the cities of Corinth, again, as the number of disciples arose, again, another dispute arose. Do you know what the folk in Corinth and the folk in Rome in both churches were fighting over? Food. <laughs> they were getting into food fights. It sounds funny to say, I know, bad joke. It sounds funny to say that brawls, borderline, were breaking out in the parking lot over what was served at the church potluck, but that's what was going down. Why? In Rome, everybody say Rome, Rome, there were mostly converted Jews in that church who said, we can't eat pork. Eating pork is bad, don't like the barbecue, right? We, they've come out of Judaism with its dietary laws. The converted Gentiles in the same church were from Texas and they said, whatever, pass the brisket, please, right? Pass the bacon, please. If there's no smoke, there's no barbecue. Saw that on a t-shirt yesterday. Their food fight was really a cultural clash. Let's reverse it. Over in Corinth, again, it was reversed. In that church, there were mainly converted Gentiles. Everybody say Corinth. Corinth. In Corinth, these converted Gentiles said, we can't eat meat dedicated to Zeus or Apollos from the meat market. But the Jewish converts, again, not come out of paganism, they said, Come on, guys. Zeus doesn't even exist. What's the big deal? You might as well be dedicating food to R2-D2. <laughs> Spider-Man, like Apollos, is pure fiction. But the Greek converts, because of their background, had a sensitive conscience when it came to what they ate. Their food fight, again, was really a cultural clash. What did Paul do? In both cases, he makes an evaluatory statement. He says, this group is weak here. That group is strong there. Like in one city, one ethnic group gets the gospel worse because of their background, their blinders. The other group actually gets the gospel better. And in the other city, it's reversed. 
which shows us this. Here's my point. That our cultural differences are both the source of our conflict and the key to its resolution. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Here's what I mean. It was only because they came together that issues came up. Some people, they'll come in here and sometimes, I know this, when stuff goes crazy out there, they bring the crazy in here. It's hard not to. And sometimes other people see that, that are overhear that, that are overread that somewhere, and they'll get offended by that, and they'll say, I thought Christians were supposed to be past that. To which I would say, maybe, but I thought Christians were also supposed to be past judging their neighbor in church. But anyway, okay, that's cool, all right. I'm spicy today, yeah. I usually think it, I don't normally say it. The point is, if you were only around people like you, that kind of stuff wouldn't come up. But it was only because they were together, yes, that the conflict came up, but the ironic beauty of it was only because they came together that they could be healed. Because in the end, both groups of ethnically diverse Christians, they ultimately knew Jesus better, got the gospel better because of one another. In other words, while it's harder together, it's also better together. Some of you read C.S. Lewis's book on friendship. It's called The Four Loves. And in it, he talks about a group of his friends. A group of friends, you may know, they were called the Inklings. They wrote books and stuff together. And they all cared deeply for one another. They were very close. And then one of them died. His friend's name was Charles. And when that happened, he said while they were very sad, while he was very sad about losing his friend Charles. Charles passed away. He said at first he thought it meant he was going to get more from another friend named Ronald. You know, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. That's what one of the R's means. But he discovered that when Charles died, instead of getting more out of Ronald, he got less. He said there was a part of Ronald that only Charles could bring out. And he discovered this, that it takes a group to really know a person. See, it takes a whole group to know a single person. Yeah, you can get some things from your friends one-on-one. Of course you do. But a group brings out more in a friend than you ever could on your own. It takes a diverse group to really know one person. And I want to tell you, knowing Jesus Christ is the same. It's the same. When we are together, it helps us see him more clearly. And therefore, when we come together and we have differences, which of course we will, we should listen to one another for the purpose of learning about Jesus better together. We ask this question, how can I love Jesus better? Not because we're the same, but because we're simply different. First, we listen and we learn. Second, L. It's how we hold the mystery. We lament and lift. Lament and lift. All right, so what did Paul advise these people, these groups of Christians with gaps, cultural gaps to do? He said, I advise each group. Romans 15, 1, he says, I advise you to bear with that means literally to carry, to pick up. You think of the, 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 the paralytic in Mark 5, right? Where the, the, he's, or Mark 2, he's picked up and carried by his friends. Same idea. Those who are weak for whatever reason, that are weak theologically, that are weak emotionally, you gotta pick them up. Paul says, you have to carry them. Now I remember, of course you will too, back in May of 2020, when George Floyd died, I'll remember this. It was very hard, hard all the way around, lots of pain all the way around. I got on a Zoom call in the wake of that a couple days after with five other of my close pastor friends from across the country, most of whom pastor churches a lot like ours. 
two of which are pastored by African-Americans. And we sat there, we all cried on the phone for a, a number of hours. At, which point I, at some point, I asked them, what can I, what can we do for you? I was feeling pretty helpless. And both of them said, both those African-American men said, we need to say some hard things to the people who look like you, friends who look like you. And these are godly, principled, reconciled men. They are leaders. Men, our kids are friends. We preach in each other's churches. We do life together. They don't advocate violence in any way, but they were really struggling. And so I just said, all right, say it. Say what you got to say. And they said some hard things. And they said to us, we need y'all, maybe not y'all, y'all, you all, to say back to us some things to let us know you love us. And we said them. We prayed for one another. And one of them, his name is James Lowe in Nashville, Tennessee, pastor of Bethel Outreach Center. Called me last night at dinner, thank you. He said that was one of the most powerful moments of his life. He said it gave him hope. And he walked out of that Zoom call and into his city and right there in the middle of 2020 and started something called Unite Nashville. You look it up. Which gathered people. It's a whole movement now. He started to gather people to pray for their city, pray for the police, pray for all the protesters, pray for everyone. It was amazing. He held his city together. Listen, that's what just a moment of carrying, lifting, lamenting together can do. He was feeling weak. We carried him, right? We all got better. We listen and learn. We lament and lift. And finally, we lean in. Look at this. Both churches. Here's Paul's final command. He said, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Church, would you read that out loud with me? Let's say that verse. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. You know this. Everything in our world right now says stick to your own kind. Hmm? Stay with your own people. When someone offends you, just leave them, walk away. And listen, there is a whole world out there full of news networks. I use the word news generously sometimes. <laughs> Politicians, whole world of podcasts. They threaten us with fear. Okay? After ratings, come on, we know this. They say you should either stick to your own kind or if you let somebody else in, they've got to think exactly what you do down a list of 47 issues to be your friend. But that's not what the Bible says at all. It says... Make your negative evaluations for sure. Weak, strong, all right. But in the end, above all that, you must, Paul says, accept one another. Don't lean away. Lean towards. Lean towards. How do we hold a mystery? Listen and learn. Lament and lift and lean in. You say, that's a lot. I know. Where can we get the power to do this? Last thought. By a special power. Here it is. At the end of Ephesians 3, <laughs> now that we're out of my detour, we're back on a Paul's detour. Paul says this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, right here, I know some of you love this verse. I know this is every charismatic Christian's favorite verse to quote at a prayer meeting. <laughs> you come in, man, I'm believing for my car. I'm believing for my man. I'm believing for my woman, right? Immeasurably more. Yes, Lord, I can see him now, right? Woo, he's going to be more than I could even imagine. I heard this verse used two weeks ago by a well-meaning Christian speaker at a graduation event for high school seniors. 
trying to inspire them about their future. Now, listen, I want you to know, as your pastor, I hope you get that man. I hope you get that woman. I hope you get that raise. I hope it's beyond what you could imagine and that you give out of that to Pastor Alvin's church plan. Thank you very much. I hope you get that that new car. It's way better. I believe you will get that healing. I believe you're going to do great in life because God desires, 3 John verse 2, that we be in good health and our souls prosper even as our souls prosper. We are in health and prosper. Listen, my point is they're better scriptures for all those things, but this verse, what is immeasurably more than we can even imagine, is not about your new house, new car, new spouse. It's all about the unity of all peoples in Jesus Christ. And you know this is what Paul is talking about, because come on, what is immeasurably harder to imagine than a new car? Unity in these United States of America, right? What takes more faith to ask for? Greater imagine to see built that a new house is faith that people, all peoples, can come together in Christ. That is what is too big for most people to imagine. But I want to tell you, it's not too big for our God to imagine, and it's not too big for the people of Jesus to imagine. Hear me. Christians have been imagining this since mm, roughly 33 AD. We are the first people in the history of the world to imagine this. We've been given this as a mystery to steward and to hold, and God gives us something to help bring it about. What is it? Look at this. He's able to do this according to the power that's work within us. There is a kind of power Paul writes about that brings about the impossible. We're going to read it in just a second. It's simply this. It's never, it's not the love of power, which is where most conversations around this head into. Not the love of power. It's the power of love. It's the power of love against which no law can stand. Jesus Christ came and showed us, as Paul put it, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. How quadridirectional the love of Christ is. On the cross, he showed us how high, how long, how wide, how deep was his love for us. On the cross, he looked at us, and you know what? He made a negative evaluation about you and me. <laughs> you need to be saved. <laughs> you can't save yourself. You're a sinner who needs to be saved. Jesus Christ leaned toward us, accepted us. He chose his discomfort over solitude. He chose, hear me, to be misunderstood and wronged by people not like him for the sake of love rather than be right and be all by himself. Simply put, he chose us over him, and when we now choose to follow Jesus, that same DNA gets put in us. The power of love now goes to work in us as individuals. It goes to work in us as the ecclesia, the church, and we become something against which the gates of hell will not prevail, and something before which the principalities and the authorities of this world take notice. Paul says he's done this now so that we can do this in front of a host of angels and demons. We're not just fighting against people. When we do this, when we love one another, when we love one another right now in our moment right now with the news right now. It's before a host of angels and demons. We're pushing back the demonic. We're pushing towards God's glory. We do this so that now the mystery can be shown to the world in front of a whole heavenly host 
is watching us. Tim, Dr. Tim Keller, in his recent book on hope, last thought, he puts it like this. In a world so polarized by race and tribe and class, there is no greater witness. Would you read those words with me? The three words? No greater witness to the power of the gospel and the reality of the new creation than when believers do the hard work of establishing multi-ethnic churches, which is what we're doing today. This is not at all an easy task, but it can be a testimony to the surrounding community of how Christ can unite us. I hope you can say amen. Would you stand with me? Yeah. Stand with me, church. I'm going to... We're going to enter into just a little moment here of prayer. I'm going to sort of preach, pray this to you. My prerogative, thanks for letting me do this here as we begin to close. We're going to, I'm going to close with reading these words to you that Paul wrote here in Ephesians 3. Haven't gotten to them yet. Save the best for last. Paul writes this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Because guess what? We've got to stay on our knees to do this. From whom every family, your family, my family, this family called Mosaic derives its name. I pray, oh Jesus, actually read this with me now. Here we go. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, Lord, give us grace to do this, grace to live this. We need your help. And most of all, we need your love. Lord, I'm praying today that you'd help us stop the othering of the other. Lord, give us grace just to love, accept, lean in, listen and learn. Just like you did with us. We thank you for the gift, the stewardship that you've given us. We say yes to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.